Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. Brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, Tampa Bay Business Journal editor Alexis Milner welcomes Vinick Sports Group Chief Operating Officer Mark Pitts, who shares the inspiring story of his father and lessons in leadership. Mark Pitts, welcome to the Florida Business Minds podcast. Alexis, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here and glad to uh, to participate in your podcast. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. The Vinick Sports Group is home to the three-time Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Youngling Center, formerly the Sun Dome, once in a day, two event venues, as far as I can see, a digital media company and retail and e-commerce platforms. And VSG really creates experiences that grow brands, drive revenue, and make a community impact. Mark, I think just to give our audience some context for your role as the Chief Operating Officer, why don't you start by telling us a bit about what you're responsible for day to day? Yeah, Alexis, I think some of the things that you just read off may have been collapsed a little bit. So there may have been a few changes in structure that you just described. But listen, for all practical purposes, as the Chief Operating Officer, I report directly to the Chief Executive Officer, Steve Griggs. I'm responsible for all of revenue generation, so sales, marketing, our ticketing office, our uh, partnership, uh, suites and premium seats, our IT, and currently have an owner's rep or a construction representative that rolls up into our IT organization as well. Our organization is kind of split into three direct reports that uh, report to Steve Griggs. So chief operating officer, chief venue officer, uh, Kevin Priest. So the actual physical plant rolls up to him. And then our chief financial officer rolls up to Steve Griggs as well. And he has uh, legal and human resources that rolls underneath him. But as the chief operating officer and having the vast majority, if you will, of the full-time staff, I am interfacing with those two partners as well as any of the resources that are in their organization. Unfortunately, they sometimes have two and possibly three bosses. So that's just the way that we're structured. Well, and part of that is just how all the facets that the organization touches, Mm -hmm. which is remarkable to watch. I've been in town for a long time and have watched the evolution of the company. And it's just been very exciting. We have a lot to talk about. I don't want to come back to that, but I want to start by asking a bit about where you grew up. But I really want to start with your dad, who you lost as a young person. I know Riley Leroy Pitts died in Vietnam uh, in October of 1967 and was, as far as I can see, which is a pretty incredible thing, the first African-American officer in the nation to receive the Medal of Honor, which is the highest military decoration for acts of valor. And I know the award was presented posthumously by President Johnson in December of 1968 for extremely brave and selfless actions that he took in Binh Duong province. I know this is an important part of your life and legacy, Mark, and I want to start by asking you about that. How has that legacy impacted your business, your community, and family focus? Yeah, I think from uh, just a community and family focus first before I get to business. I mean, my father's legacy has been a very instrumental part of my life and remains such. While I was only four years old when he was killed, I still feel like I know him because he remained very much alive in the family. And that's a blessing for me and our family. He has been remembered by so many soldiers and so many organizations you know, in the now 50 plus years. And the 
unfortunate thing about that is that there are so many other soldiers that are as deserving for their sacrifice and their service. And our family tries to never forget that, that he wasn't there alone. And there are a lot of young men who lost their lives who have not received the kind of recognition that my dad did, okay, or my dad has received. There are facilities that are named after him literally all over the world. Pitts Hall in Germany, Raleigh Pitts Parkway over in Germany, Pitts Park in Oklahoma City, a military uh, artillery field in Lawton, Oklahoma, at his alma mater, Wichita State University, their ROTC room. I mean, the list just goes on and on. There's a scholarship that's endowed in his name at the University of Oklahoma, so my alma mater. So again, as I said, Alexis, the list goes on and on. So how it's impacted me from a family and community standpoint, one, uh, I have just, you know, tremendous amount of respect for my father's family. I actually grew up probably more around them and they embraced us. My mother, who's from a small town in Kansas, I mean, they became our world as we were growing up. So we're blessed that we had such a tremendous family and still very, very close with all of them. From a community standpoint, his military service accentuated the fact that I needed to figure out how one, I could support the military, and two, how I could give back to the community, okay? He sacrificed his life, and that shows you the kind of commitment that he has to this nation. At a time in 1967, if you think about that, literally only two to three years after Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, I mean, all those sorts of things, he was still fighting for his men of all races, religions, ethnicities at a very interesting time in our American history, and that's a very big part of my ethos and who I am as a person. And then from a business standpoint, the character and integrity and honesty that I think is just necessary to be a a good business professional and continue to ascend, if you will, or continue to grow in any organization. I think that all of that is grounded in who he is and what he means, not only to our family, but, but to this nation as well. So I would never want to dishonor that. Yeah, that's an inspiration by all means, and obviously lifelong. I know a bit about Vietnam, and, and part of an earlier project for me was around the role of radio in Vietnam during the war, which I did a series with NPR around, and, and I, at some point would love to share that with you. But, but a big focal point of that was how different it was every year you were there, and also some of the challenging issues around race and culture, and mm-hmm. especially for Black soldiers, who sure. not only face challenges within the military, but at home. Uh, At a time that you mentioned in terms of the timeline where there was a lot happening in terms of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. The Time Life magazine uh, reporter Wallace Terry probably said it best a number of years back where he articulated, you know, we've had soldiers of African-American descent that have fought for their men, no matter what color they are, through the generations. And my dad was one of them. So we just have to remember that we're all Americans first. And, you know, our commitments to the country. Yeah, and reading a bit about him and what he went through and the self-sacrifice and the bravery, it gives you chills. But to your point earlier, there are so many who are deserving of that. I do think that can be in a sense of inspiration for others, which is probably another part of that legacy. And I know, I understand that you made a trip with your mom and your sister a few years ago to mm-hmm. Washington, where he was honored the Pentagon and the African American Museum. Tell us a little bit about that. A number of years back, we took, I think, 12 family members to Washington, D.C. to go to the African-American Museum, uh, the Smithsonian Museum of 
African-American cultural and arts, I think it's actually called, where he is prominently displayed with other heroes of, you know, military conflicts. We happen to run into General Colin Powell's wife and son. And I actually have a picture of that. Okay. So that was very special of us uh, having the opportunity to meet him at, you know, the display there. The second thing that we actually stumbled upon was the public affairs office in the Pentagon is actually named the Riley L. Pitts Memorial Conference Room. And there is a uh, picture of him as well as a mock of the medal, uh, medal of honor that is displayed in there. General Les Smith was our guide that day. uh, And we literally found out about that, I think, a few days before we were going that that conference room actually existed. So, you know, again, I I add that to the list of things that I rattled off a little bit earlier on how he has been honored by the military. And do you have any early memories of him, even though he passed when you were four? Do you have that? Yeah, I do. You know, the the silly little things that, uh, you know, hope my son, you know, remembers about me. I, I can remember getting up as a little boy and going into my mom and dad's room and his feet hanging off the bed, you know, and you just sit there and wait on them to wake up. <laughs> OK, I remember talking to him on the phone. He must have been TDY with my mom in Hawaii, you know. So, you know, I, I remember some things like that. Sure. I remember I do remember going to his services, and I remember the day that they actually, the bereavement officer came to my mom's house. We were back about to leave. She was taking me to a babysitter, and she and her girlfriend were going to the movies before my sister got out of school, and, you know, everything changed. I remember my grandfather telling me that, you know, my dad was dead, and I said, no, he's not. My dad's in Vietnam. So, you know, that's that's how you process it, you know, as a four-year-old. So, yeah, I, I do remember some of those things. Amazing. And thank you for sharing those. And as I get to know a bit about you and your history, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility to live up to some of that uh, yeah. I imagine, yeah. for you, right? Yeah. You know, listen, the way that I have thought about it over the years has certainly evolved as you get older. I mean, at one point, I used to unfortunately think in my head that, you know, would I live as long as he did? And could I ever fill his shoes? And then after I got to about 33, 34, you know, you just kind of come to the self-realization that he wouldn't want me to fill his shoes. He'd want me to fill my own. And that's the same message that I have for my son. Fill your own shoes. Don't worry about filling mine. So beautiful message. Yeah. Well, and then you have filled your own shoes. I mean, I'm curious about the transition after 28 years that you spent in the Coca-Cola system. You know, you've worked with large, complex customers in food and beverage and the tenure at Coca-Cola. And then certainly you played a big role in the evolution of Coke Florida, which was a fascinating mm-hmm. story from the business journal's perspective to watch. Mm-hmm. I believe Coke Florida is, remains in the top four if uh, of the largest African-American owned companies in the nation. But how did you first get started in the Coke system? So I was recruited to Coca-Cola USA at the time right out of college, okay? So I started my career with Coca-Cola company, Coke USA, in Kansas City in an entry-level sales role and just started working my way up from there. So I came up, we'll call it through the sales track, Kansas City, St. Louis, and you know, you start branching off into different parts of the business. You know, I had a territory that went from the Canadian border to Texas and, you know, anything you could touch down the middle of the map as uh, the leader of the education market. And you learn a lot through that. You know, you get very involved with, you know, intellectual property rights and legal and uh, colleges and universities and scoreboards. So this 
has a story that kind of ends up here, right? I mean, those were the foundational kinds of lessons that I learned in managing that type of business for the Coca-Cola system. And then I moved to Atlanta and to national accounts, which was actually an international role. I lived in Atlanta and, you know, traveled internationally and worked with Aramark, who is the, you know, contract food service company. And as you know, they operate many stadiums and arenas and those sorts of things. So I did that for a number of years. And then really, you know, into marketing, back into sales, into general management, those sorts of things. And then obviously the evolution of spinoff of Coke Florida and what happened there working with Troy. And and that's a big part of your life in the later stages of that experience. I actually knew that I was coming down to join Coke Florida about two years ahead of of the announcement and the transition, right? I mean, uh, there's a gentleman named Reginald Goins. He and I were two inside the company that were, we'll call it paired up, if you will, with Troy to restart the business down here, if you will. So, yeah, it was a planned process. And my experience with the Bottling Investment Group, which is the Coke company-owned entity that owned 19 bottlers in 18 countries, was part of my, call it, development and training process to join Troy and Reggie down here as as we started up Coke Florida. And I had a great career with Coke Company. I had a great career with Coke Florida, you know, learned a lot in both. And I think all of that experience and the culmination of that I think positioned me to be able to uh, step into a role as chief operating officer of the Venix Sports Group. I certainly feel very comfortable and capable and competent in the role because I've had the experiences over, you know, 33, 30 plus years now, you know, in business. So I'm excited about being here. It's a great organization with a great culture a winning tradition, both on and off the ice, great leadership, great ownership. It's an ideal situation for me. And I'm pleased to be a part of it. Yeah, as I hear a little bit more about sort of this, the building blocks in terms of the, you know, coming out of sales and also the mm-hmm. connection between the largest soft drink brand in the world, uh, which is a, a fair statement, and sports. There's a natural connection there. But step back just a second, because I think mm-hmm. we're always interested in sort of how these opportunities come about. How did it spark and then realize it was time for you to move into this world, which I think it's been a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So look, kind of leaning back on the experience piece of it. So yes, you know, running a you know, pretty sizable piece of, of Coke Florida's business is certainly helpful. Having done partnership deals in NASCAR, football, baseball, major league soccer, Colleges and universities, okay, I built up a set of skills that are very transferable over to this space, okay? And then along with just the basic business skills, because business is business, it's just a different context now, right? But it came about because I had a team that, you know, we called on Emily Arena. And, you know, we were a pretty good partner to Steve Griggs and the team here. And... My competitor uh, came in and made them an offer they can't refuse. So I I tease Steve because I I tell him that he fired me about five years ago. (laughs) And then, you know, two and a half years ago or two years ago. So he calls me up and asks me to to go to breakfast. So we uh, we plan for that. We sit down at breakfast and he says that he is he is exploring bringing on a chief operating officer. And would I be interested in being a candidate? And that's really how it all kind of came about. So, 
you know, hopefully my interactions with him over the time that we did have the business, my, you know, interactions with him at the Tampa Bay Chamber all led him to a positive perspective of me that made him consider me as a candidate. But I imagine for you, uh, to your point, I mean, your comfort levels are there and, and uh, you know, I imagine you were all yours and that's really, really exciting. And how have you grown in the first couple of years in that role? You know, I have grown because I am now overseeing other areas of the business that I didn't have in my roles at Coke Florida, right? While I had a big chunk of the business, the food service and on-premise business was, you know, pretty good size because I had the entire state or at least the 43 counties that Troy owns and, You know, I had 6,000 customers that we managed underneath the food service and on-premise business. Now I have IT, and it's, you know, fortunate for me that my degree was in management information systems. So I have a good understanding of it, right? I don't, I can't program, but I have a good understanding of the language and can speak the language. I now have other pieces of business that are different, ticketing, ticket office, It is just an adjustment. So I'm growing as I learn uh, a new industry. And that's the exciting part about, you know, being in this role. And I I am a person that does like to continuously learn, try new things, experiment, fail forward, get up and keep moving. So that's just kind of in, in my DNA as well. Yeah, I love hearing that. It's inspirational always. Many in the audience will relate to that winning energy and also this quest for lifelong learning, which... If we can be so lucky to have that in our lives, then uh, you know, I think we need to take a minute and really, really appreciate it, which I think you've just done. Mark Pitts joining us. Next, how he and his team are growing revenue in a challenging business climate. When Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas, working with businesses across Florida to lower energy usage and costs with efficient natural gas. Get cashback energy conservation rebates when you install new natural gas equipment. Learn more at peoplesgas.com slash bizrebates. One of the things I want to ask you about was growth. And I imagine that revenue is part of that. And, and mm-hmm. we're thinking about it. It must be a bit of a challenge because, you know, you've got so many sponsorships in throughout the system. And it is a customer experience-based world and coming out of sales, that connection to customer experience is really important. Mm-hmm. And there must be some sensitivity on raising prices. So how do you grow in, given all those sort of challenging factors? So, you know, there are various components to growth, as you just described. Yes, price is always one of them, okay? Dynamic pricing and yields and all those sorts of things obviously come into play. Growing with your partners, creating new experiences, creating new assets, creating new connections that help our partners bring their business objectives to life. You know, there are a number of different avenues that we touch upon. We will have new spaces and places to to experience in the years to come here in this venue. So, we have to create opportunities for ourselves to grow because you, you know, I think what you're alluding to is we can't continue to raise prices that ultimately outstrip what the consumer is willing to pay for them. And I think that Jeff has been fantastic in the way that he has absolutely managed to that and, and ensured that we continue to provide great value to our season ticket members, to people that buy single game tickets. It's a passion of his that we continue to have a great price and, and fair value for what people get. And I imagine there have been discussions, and I've just read a book that's about to come out. I got a advanced copy by a local 
business consultant, very, very smart guy named Scott Edinger, who wrote a book called The Growth Leader. And a lot of the book is talking about the disconnect for many folks in the C-suite around communicating uh, and being directly involved with the sales teams mm-hmm. and communicating strategy to the sales teams. And that often is not a priority for folks in the C-suite. I imagine given your, where you came from and the reliance on customer experience, mm-hmm. that, that communicating that strategy, Mark, is, is really an important thing for you all, especially as you're talking about some of the things we just, we just talked about. How much internally do you, are you guys thinking about that? We think about it daily, okay? And we actually have conversations about it weekly during our uh, executive leadership team meetings. There is no disconnect between our ELT and you know the sales teams, right? Because we have a ticketing team, we have a partnership team, and we have a, a premium seats and suites organization. And we are actively having dialogue with them around the way that you know we are engaging with our guests, our fans, and ensuring that you know we are we are keeping a very close eye on how we manage the business overall. And literally, we have uh, conversations about it on a daily basis. I'm not surprised to hear that. As you were talking, one of the things I was thinking about earlier, which is, you know, Jeff has impressed us all with his impact mm-hmm. and his demeanor and his approach and the community impact. How much do you work with Jeff and get a chance to work with it? How is that? And, you know, I know that recently, obviously, is, you know, has stepped back a bit and focused on family and having some quality mm-hmm. of life things. Mm-hmm. But talk about working with Jeff directly. So, so I've been fortunate enough to interface with him several times a year. He and Steve Griggs, obviously, you know, talk on a much more frequent basis. I report to Steve. I talk more to Steve, obviously, than I do Jeff. But he was a big part. He being Jeff was a big part of of why I wanted to make the move from Coke, Florida over here is because of the person that he is. I mean, he is every great thing that people say about him and more from my experience with him. Right. I mean, he is smart, humble, driven. Uh, He provides this organization with the resources, freedom and guidance to manage the business effectively. You couldn't ask for anything better from an owner. And it is part of the reason that we have the great culture that we do here is that everybody really understands from the top down the commitment to this organization, to this community from Jeff. And hopefully it shows. Oh, it does. We had a group of CEOs in uh, our conference room this week for our Tampa Bay 200 uh, roundtable discussion. That's our list of the top 200 Mm -hmm. privately held companies in the community. And the prevailing theme was culture, and it, it keeps coming back. And in a time where there's talent shortages and people finding the best people, obviously all, you know, slightly cliche, but but is what makes businesses successful. Mm-hmm. How much has that been a challenge for you guys in terms of attracting, keeping up, making sure you have the right people in the seats? You know, like any business that has just come through COVID-19 and all the changes that happened with workforce as a result of that, Okay. There are certain roles that we've had a little more challenge with and then others that, you know, we have all the right uh, requisites that they would want to to step into this organization. One of the things that is attractive to external candidates as they look at roles is our culture and, you know, the commitment to the community and all of the things that we do to demonstrate to our team members um, and employees that they're valued by this organization. Because if we take care of our employees, our team members, 
they take care of our guests, okay? And it's a virtuous cycle uh, that people will want to continue coming back. It does all the things that we needed to do to drive the right amount of revenue and those sorts of things. So, yeah, we feel culture is like number one in our organization. Yeah, I was sort of amazed at how much, you know, how important it is to everybody right now. I mean, it's critical that you guys are thinking about it. As we begin to wind up, Mark, and it's been just so great to spend some time with you. And thank you again for being part of the Florida Business Minds podcast. I want to wind up by asking a bit about leadership uh, on the mm-hmm. civic level. I was lucky enough as an earlier in career to be an associate producer for National Public Radio News Magazine that was focused on multicultural America. Mm-hmm. And when I got here in 2004, I was committed to making sure our pages reflected diversity in all its mm-hmm. forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of the corporate reckoning that took place after the murder of George Floyd a couple of years ago, we upped our efforts to mm-hmm. engage and tell the story certainly of Black business leaders. And that's been seen in examples like the Tampa Organization of Black Affairs Leadership Institute, where we're identifying Black business leaders that people may not know about and trying to just, you know, tell stories and help people understand difference and uh, and who's out there, who is part of this community. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot to be done around diversity, equity, access, inclusion, especially in the current climate, Mark. And it's not an easy issue. And sometimes folks who are in a leadership position are, you know, may not feel like, you know, I mean, there's a responsibility but it's, mm-hmm. it's not an easy position to be in necessarily. Where can we advance, help this community grow and be successful through difference? Sure. Listen, I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a critical part of advancing our society overall. Okay, I'll, I'll start there. We embrace it here at the Vinick Sports Group. We have a dynamic DEI committee. We have, you know, very strong pillars that we are working against and we are making it come to life in our organization. And our definition of diversity, equity and inclusion is is pretty broad and wide. And, you know, we are doing that one so that we make sure that everyone understands that we're a community center and everybody's welcome. Okay, so we have to have the right types of procurement and sourcing, uh, training and development, access, you know, for the building. We have to ensure all of those things are are in place. And then the fourth and, and most critical pillar to me right now is the metrics and how we are measuring this. Okay, so that we can demonstrate that the things that we are doing are making a difference in, in our organization. So, listen, as a African-American male, you know, in this this world, the first African-American chief operating officer. While that is important, I hope that my legacy will be is that I made room for a second and a third. And, you know, we get industries comfortable that there are capable, competent professionals that are African-American, Hispanic, Asian, women, LGBTQ, that can step into these roles and be effective for the organizations and drive the right kind of value and create the right kind of value for their companies and their organizations. Yeah, I think that's a very well said. Thank you so much for doing it. And it takes that daily intent, Mark. And longer term vision, right? It's not going to be achieved overnight. But and from our perspective, part of that is telling stories and making sure that mm-hmm. that are not necessarily based on culture or gender, but are just great business stories, right? We're going through some interesting times here in the state and across the nation. And we just have to make sure that we stay steadfast to doing what's right. And things will cycle back to a point where people get common sense around what you're really talking about versus how they've weaponized certain words to uh, to achieve what they want to achieve. So, 
And especially if they realize that that's good business, it, it helps the bottom Absolutely. line to have more voices and the other input and, and that's all exactly right. things that are proven, right? Yeah. We, we know this for a fact. So I think that's a pretty awesome spot to leave it. It's been a wonderful conversation, Mark. I'm so glad to spend some time with you. And thank you so much for being a part of this. Alexis, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And it was an honor to be on your program. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. Brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy.